Today we are uh, we're taking a little, little detour from our normal series. We've been preaching on All in the Family. It's still All in the Family. But today's message is called All in the Church Family. Uh, we've started a new program on Wednesday nights called Deeper. And the idea of the Deeper program was to offer Bible studies during the week uh, on Wednesday nights and a children's program so that you, every member of your family, will have the opportunity to get involved in a Bible study of some kind. Now we started it off with a Bible study here in the auditorium, and the goal was to break it off into small groups. And that's what happened this past Wednesday night. And I'll tell you, it was, uh, it did my heart good as I, for those of you who watch us on Wednesday night, if you're not able to be here because of work or family commitments or whatever it is, and you watch us on Wednesday night, literally Wednesday night, I was, pre I was teaching my Bible study to an empty auditorium. There was nobody in here. Uh, Jonathan would come in and check on the feed, but there was nobody in here. That's because the men's small group started meeting on Wednesday night, and they had a great number Wednesday night. They had their own going on. And the ladies' small group, which was supposed to, it was originally scheduled for Thursday nights, and it's still on Thursday nights, decided to do it on Wednesday nights as well. So there's a ladies' Bible study on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And that's what our deeper program was designed to do. And I'm, I think the women got through their Bible study and ladies are always the ones that are, said they, they talk a lot, but the men didn't get through their study because they talk so much. But that's a good thing because the, the, the purpose of those Bible studies is to study something from the word, to study, uh, we're going through the same study in our small groups. Pastor Osvaldo has got, uh, chose a, a selected a Bible study on community within the church. And both men and women are going through that. So we're getting our church on the same page as far as purpose goes. And then my Bible study, uh, you know, I, I do another Bible study in here that's different. Uh, so people have that opportunity as well. But it was awesome to see that play out. And today... What I'm going to be doing is preaching about our small groups and about what we're going to be covering and what our purpose is as a church and what it means to be a church family. If you'd stand with me as we read God's word, Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 10, Paul's writing, and he gets very personal here in this passage in Philippians 3, 10 through 14. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Now, our society today is a very me-first society. It's all about me. It's all about what I can do. It's all about everything is about self. Uh, if I hear one more, one more commercial about self-care, I think I'll pull whatever hair out I have out. Um, as we get into this sermon today, you're going to find out that the Bible, yes, you need to take care of yourself. Yes, you need to watch your health. You need to make sure your spiritual health is in line. But one thing I'll be saying here in just a minute, and I'm going to say it now as well, is 
it's not about you. And we've made in society, we've made society all about me. And that mentality has crept into the church, so much so that people want church to be designed around them. They want to, you know, the, the first song we sang that Lewis led the worship off with, so true. We want, we want what we, was like the old the song in the 80s, I want my MTV, we want our church to be what we design it to be, rather than what it's designed to be. Our nation has just survived a near disaster, we know that. Uh, here in Massachusetts on the 15th, the state of emergency is over. It's all, all wiped out as of June 15th. Now we lost a lot of people and nobody's, uh, nobody's saying anything. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think this was a hoax. I believe this happened. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I got the vaccine. I think getting the vaccine is a smart thing to do. If you're on the fence about whether to get the vaccine, I would say get the vaccine. I think it's a good idea. I think it gets you back into, it, it, it protects you. I think now you've got 150 million plus people in America that have had the vaccine. I think that's probably a good sample size, don't you? I think it's probably working. Just, just my idea. I think that if you're not on board with it now, you're probably just stubborn and want a reason to be stubborn. That's just my opinion. And you can have a difference of opinion if you want, but that's okay. But after these incredibly difficult and tumultuous times, we're still divided. We're still divided over several issues in this country. One of the reasons we wanna make the 4th of July such a big deal is because it is a big deal. Not only is it a big deal for America, the, the, celebrating the time when we became a country, I believe it's a big deal for America right now. We need to come back together. We need to remind ourselves why we love this country. We need to remind ourselves why we love the freedom that we have. Remind ourselves why we love uh, what God has provided for us in this country. When you look at our nation, it's not, it's not a, an arrogance that we, it shouldn't be an arrogance that we look at America as compared to other nations and what God has blessed us with here. It should be an amazing responsibility and an amazing honor. Have you ever prayed and, asked, and thanked God for allowing you to be born in America. Think of what could have happened. I remember growing up in, in the times I grew up in when Russia and America were at each other's throats constantly. And then when I went to the army, I saw the training that the Russian soldiers went through and, and the, 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 life, the, the lifestyle they had to live. And I said, thank God, God, thank you so much for allowing me to be born in America. And I think sometimes we forget that because we have so many issues and we're so divided and there's, and there's good reason for having these issues. There's not good reason for having division, but there's good reasons for having these issues. I believe that there are deep issues in our nation. I believe this last, last 16 months has revealed deep wounds that have not healed yet. I had a great conversation with a, a gentleman People are starting to come back to the gym. And a friend of mine uh, that I've gone to the gym with for years now, man of color, he's a believer, goes to church in Springfield, and we talk a lot. And, and he, just, uh, he just opened up about some things, about the race issue. And, and he said, you know, 
what bothers me, and this man is a man who loves God. He loves his faith. And he said, you know, I just wish white people would realize we're not trying to make it personal. We just want you to acknowledge that these things exist. We're not trying to say you're the problem. We're just trying to say these things exist. These kind of attitudes exist. These kind of actions exist. This is a reality. But for some reason, it seems like they want to take it personally, like we're trying to say that they are the problem. I think that's the frustration we feel in our society in a lot of different areas. I think that's the frustration that uh, women feel when men don't acknowledge the fact that it really is a problem when women do the same job as men and sometimes do it much better but make 75% of the pay. Listen, I'll tell you what, gentlemen, let me, just, let me just say this. As a man, there's no way you'd get away with that with me. You, you would, I'd walk out on you and go find another job. In fact, I'd find two jobs to make up for the one if I needed to. Women aren't saying you're the problem. They're saying there's something wrong. Can we just acknowledge that? And I think that if we just simply acknowledge problems in our nation, we would take a step towards getting them fixed. But what this also revealed these last 16 months is that there are deep divides in the church. And not, not just in the church in general. I mean, if you follow the news, the Southern Baptist Convention is, is falling apart at the seams. The United Methodist Church is, about, is just about wiped out. I'm talking about in individual churches as well. I think that it has shown that there are some issues that have to be faced. The issues that we face, they're not only deep, they're entrenched. And I believe they're deadly. Without speaking in hyperbole, if we don't address these issues and fix them soon, we're going to be facing damages and losses that directly affect the church's relevance, abilities, ministries, and even our survival. We're already considered a post-Christian region of America. In fact, if you were to, t if you were to put a pin in spree or a protractor, remember protractors? They still use protractors in school? Do they? I don't, I don't know. We used to, they were weapons when I was a kid, a protractor. Anybody ever use a protractor? I know, I know Melvin, Mel, see, that doesn't surprise me. Because a protractor, you know what a protractor, a protractor had that, that sharp, um, it had the, the spear on one end and then that, that you, I'm, yeah, sorry. So uh, public school education, um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then it, had the, then it had the golf pencil on the other end, right? And you tighten that thing down and it, pff, I never used it. You know, I, I used it to stab my friend next to me. Like I didn't make any noise, he did, he screamed. <laughs> but if you were to take a protractor and stick that protractor at New Life Church, 317 Westwood Avenue, and draw a circle of about 150 miles, you would find the seven most, the seven, <laughs> say this correctly so it makes sense, the seven highest post-Christian metropolitan areas in America. The seven highest 
are within 150 miles. And they go from, they stretch from Maine all the way down to New York. They go west to Albany, and they go all the way to Boston. So we're right almost smack dab in the middle of the most post-Christian, of the highest number of post-Christian uh, people, the post-Christian most post-Christian society. What does that mean? Post-Christian means that the generation, the, 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 the biblical impact on morality has gone away. For those of you who don't know, for those of you who need the lesson, um, if you were to look through the United States Constitution, if you were to look through the laws laid down in our land, you will find a definite pattern of Christianity in them. Now, I'm not saying we, are a, we were founded as a Christian nation. I'm not saying we were founded on the Bible. But we were founded on biblical principles. The Ten Commandments are, the, the Ten Commandments are strewn through and through our legal system. And biblical principles are through and through. Now, not all biblical principles, because when it says all men are created equal, it only talked about, it really only meant white men who own property. Not everybody was equal there. But that is a biblical principle. But now the biblical morality is gone in our area. And in fact, <laughs> it's at about a 57% rate of post-Christianity in our region. That not only has affected society, it is affecting the church as well. The morality and worldview of the majority of the citizens of the Northeast is a non-biblical one. And it's showing. Now that sounds, that's a, that's a pretty bleak picture to paint. But hope is not lost. Because when Jesus is in the picture, hope is always present. It's not an easy fix. It doesn't come without a cost. It doesn't come without a personal cost. That's what we're talking about on Wednesday nights. That's what our small group Bible studies are about. This small group Bible study we're going through right now is on community, the community of the church, about how we as a community work together and come together and how our responsibilities uh, flow through each other. Each one of us as followers of Jesus must be willing to invest ourselves and make a commitment to our church. We must commit to becoming active, dedicated members of our church family and be willing to give of ourselves to the cause of Jesus. The rub here is this, lots of Christians today, lots and lots of Christians today are saying that the church is no longer important. That they can get along just fine without the church today. You can worship at Bedside Baptist. You can, you can, I hear this so many times. I can worship God anywhere. Sure you can. Hey, listen, you're absolutely right, man. You can worship God anywhere. When I, when I used to hike up Skinner Mountain, I used, to play, I used to play worship music all the time. And I'd have my own worship service. And I'd go up and I'd read the Bible up on Skinner Mountain. You know what I'm not commanded to do? I'm not commanded to take hikes up Skinner Mountain and worship God. I'm commanded to be in church on Sunday and worship God. Going for a hike and worshiping God on my own out there, that's, my life is supposed to be a life of worship. But the Bible tells me as a follower of Jesus, I need to be a member of a church 
And I need to be faithful to that church. And I need to be a part of that church. And if you today think that it is up to, it is just up to your women fancy as to whether or not you can be a part of the church that God doesn't really have a say on the matter, you're absolutely wrong. You're 100% wrong. You cannot make a biblical argument to say that you do not need the church in your life. We talk about this a lot. I've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years. And we're going to continue to talk about it. Why? Because listen, man, I can talk about things that are not as relevant as the church all day. And all we're going to do is see people continue to walk away. We're going to see people continue to slip away. But if we don't sound the alarm to the deadly tactics that Satan has brought on the church and the deadly flow of people leaving churches today, then the church is going to become incredibly irrelevant in society. Every one of you, every one of you has friends and family members who are just like what I described. I don't need church. You know what? I've got a, I've got a personal relationship with God and I can take care of myself. That's important. Listen, I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to knock that. It's important that you have a personal relationship with God. And that's a command. But if you think that's the only command about how you're supposed to grow in your faith, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And that's what we're talking about. You need the church. Perhaps you think you can survive without a commitment to a local church, and you can get through your life. There's no doubt about it. You can get through your life. You can get through your day. But there, listen, there are commands in life for the Christians, for followers of Jesus, that you cannot fulfill without being part of a local church. Maybe you think life will be just fine. You as well cannot be more wrong. A casual commitment to Jesus is a lukewarm faith. You know what Jesus says about lukewarm faith in the book of Revelation? It makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me want to vomit. That's what it says. And that's where we are. Listen, <laughs> we are in a day and age where Christians think it's more important. And hear how I'm saying this, please. I hope I've built up enough credibility to be able to say this without people jumping on me and, and taking it the wrong way. Because I've put a lot on the line with my own integrity and my own uh, reputation, and I've taken a beating for my own reputation because of the stand I've taken on race in the church. I've had dear friends who are friends with me for years who have messaged me with hate because I've said some things that they don't like about race. The problem today with especially the younger generation is you think that solving society's inequities is the answer to the problem. I will tell you this, that is important. I think the work Martin Luther King Jr. did was amazing. But what he also did was preach truth from the pulpit. He preached power from the pulpit. And he preached living a godly life and reaching people with the gospel of Christ from the pulpit. That's what you're missing, young generation. 
You think that getting out there for a social cause is what it's all about. And I'm saying, yes, be a good citizen, but be a good Christian, godly citizen, and allow the things of God and His way and His purpose in your life to guide and direct you. Listen, can I just be honest with you? If every Christian in America would appropriate the love and grace of God in their life, there would be no racism. Because <laughs> Jesus says there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free. He says, you're all equal in my sight. So if you appropriated the grace of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be upset if a Puerto Rican family moved into your East Longmeadow neighborhood. You wouldn't be upset if you see a, a black man driving around at nine o'clock at night through your Longmeadow neighborhood. Oops, I'm sorry, did I say something out of line there? I apologize. Not really. I used to love having my Puerto Rican flag hanging from my rear view mirror as I drove around. I used to love the looks I got, anyway. I digress. I digress. <laughs> what we need is Jesus. What we need is the church. Oh, you're supposed to say that, Pastor John. You're a pastor. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Boom, you got me. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. But just because I'm supposed to say it doesn't mean it's not true. You need the church. You need the church. Those of you watching, those of you who will be watching when you feel it's convenient for you to watch because you had something better to do on Sunday morning, you need the church. And it's time you get back to getting into church and being the church. I think you see where we're going with this, don't you? Amen. If we're gonna win the peace after the pandemic, we have to be able to provide the answers to a very relevant question. What good is church? We've gotta be able to answer that. Listen, I can, I can get up here and I can, I can whine and cry about people leaving and I can say all these things and I can be Mr. Tough Guy and Mr. Outspoken and Mr. Brash. I can do all those things, but if I can't show you the relevance of church in your life and what good church is for you, then it's just nothing, it, it has no value. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. What good is church? I'll say this, an uncommon church is built on common ground. An uncommon church is built on common ground. There are a lot of common churches. There are a lot of places around here where people just go to do their religious thing and they do it once a week just because they have to, because that's the way they were raised and they just do it because that's what they're supposed to do. That's a common church. I don't want to pastor a common church. I don't even want to be part of a common church. I want to be part of an uncommon church. A church that has a passion for its people. A, per a church that has a love for its people. A church that will sacrifice. Listen, I, I am so proud and I bragged so much to my pastor friends about my church during the COVID pandemic. Because this church reached out and helped each other during this time. This church loved on each other during this time. This church could not get enough of helping each other. And when we went live, there were some, remember, remember back, I mean, it just seems like forever ago, doesn't it? That we were going live every night. It was just amazing. When we went live, we had a crowd, man. We had a crowd watching. <laughs> Where are we now? 
as we come out of this, I know, I know, I know everybody wants to get back and do things. You feel like you missed a year. Can I tell you something? You're never going to get that year back. You're never going to get it back. Some things are gone for good. That time is gone. If here, listen to my reasoning here. If you're going to spend your summer trying to make up for lost time, you know what you're going to do? You're going to lose time in your church and in your walk with the Lord. And you're going to find things to replace your walk with. We need to make sure that as we come out of this, we remind ourselves why we missed our church so much. We need to remind ourselves why we fought so much. Some, there's a, there's a, a nasty little rumor out there that we were, that I was standing up and thumbing my nose. I had a guy ask me this week, well, how did you guys stay open? Why, you know, you were like, I was breaking the law or something. I said, you know what I did, bud? I said it very nicely. I wasn't, I, you'd have been proud, Melvin. I wasn't really ugly. I said, you know what I did? I wrote the governor. I wrote the governor an email the very right at the day after he closed the, the day after they closed everything down I said we have to stay open we have to we have people that we minister to we have people that we help out we have to stay open it doesn't mean that people have to come to church but we as a church have to stay open and you know what the, the governor's council said okay stay open I have the email to prove it it was that easy so we weren't, we weren't trying to be rebellious. We were just trying to be a church. And then we got through it. But there were a lot of things that were put on the sidelines during last year and a lot of things we did differently so, so that we could get through this year. There really were. And now that, that, that that's over, we're getting ourselves back to operating the way a church operates. That's not gonna matter if people don't come back to church. You know what I'm saying? It's not gonna matter if we're doing things the way we're supposed to if nobody decides they wanna be part of the church. And if you don't decide, you're going to make sure your family is part of the church. And if you don't decide, you're going to make sure your friends and family outside your home know that this is where they're supposed to be. That you encourage them, hey man, I missed you on Sunday. Hey, we miss you on Wednesday nights. What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, as we look in this message at how to build a church, there are three important facts I believe that we need to understand. The first one I've already mentioned, it's not about you. It's not about you. If you read the, how many of you have ever read The Purpose Driven Life? Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Good book, if you're looking for a good book to start out with, a good book to help you on your walk, Purpose Driven Life. It's very, very light. It's, it's some good, good basic um, beginning Christianity, the Purpose Driven Life. Very first line in that book is, it's not about you. You know why? Because it's not about you. This life is not about you. This life is about serving Jesus Christ and building the kingdom of God. That's what this life is about. Heaven is for you. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm building a place for you, that where I am, there you can be also. I have things in heaven that are prepared for you that your mind cannot even comprehend, that your imagination cannot even begin to think about. 
And I'm doing that all for you. But that's for you there. This life, this life, I want you to serve me. Take up, what he's saying is, lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow me. The one who finds his life in this world will lose it. But the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, there's some deep, deep passion in that statement. It, it would be so easy <laughs> to go about looking to make money and wanting to make money. I mean, we are such, look at our, our amazing society, the entrepreneurial spirit in America. There are people that can retire because they made masks, right? How many of you have a collection of masks and gators? I have, I, I've got like a Dodgers World Series mask. I've got a Dodgers gator. I've got army, an army gator. Uh, what else? I've got uh, just a straight up blue gator. I've got t several different masks. They're, they're, a mis they're a mix of either Dodger blue or camouflage. Those are my two favorite colors, camouflage and Dodger blue. <laughs> but there are people that, it's not that they took advantage, but the entrepreneurial spirit in them said, I, there's a need, I'm gonna provide it, and while I'm doing it, I'm gonna put a little coin in my pocket. We're moving beyond those things now. The second thing I would do, say is this, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. I'm gonna say something, please, once again, listen to me, okay? Because I'm gonna say something that not a lot of you are gonna like, but it's true. Our former president, President Obama, got himself in trouble when he said, you didn't build that, right? Remember that? Everybody remember when he said, you didn't build that? What he was saying is, everybody needs help. And you did, listen, you didn't, Drew has built a great, a very successful restaurant. But Drew could not have a successful restaurant if people didn't come in and buy his product. And Drew couldn't have a successful restaurant if people didn't come in and work for him. He's now have, wait, you're three locations pretty soon, right? You're gonna open up a couple kitchens and you can't be in four now. You can't be in four places at one time. So he needs help. That's all he was saying. And I'm not making a political statement. Please don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But I would say this to you. You can't do it alone. You cannot walk this life of faith on your own. You're not designed that way. The life of faith was not designed that way. It was designed to be a life of community. It was designed to be a life that works together with others. Jesus didn't choose one, one apostle. He chose 12. And he sent those 12 out. He sent, 100 of, uh, he sent uh, 120 people out. He, he chose people and he had them work together. You can't do it on your own. And the third statement is just straight up honest. You need a church community. You need a church community. If you're watching us online, I'm telling you straight up, you need a church community. And getting everything online is not community, folks. If, the, if that's the way you have to do it, listen, I know Wednesday nights, not everybody can be here Wednesday nights because of work and, and other commitments. I understand that. But you realize that my Bible study is, is, is uh, taped or videoed or whatever it's called nowadays. 
So you can watch it anytime you want. And if you can't be here, I think Pete wasn't able to be here Wednesday night, right? What they do, they brought him in by phone. So Pete was on the phone. You see, there's all kinds of ways to, to get around the inability to do things. You need a church community. Why? Well, because an uncommon church is built on common ground. What do we have in common? What can we build on and what can we build with? I believe there's at least five main purposes for a church, and that's what we're going to, we're going to be talking about, five purposes of a church, and those purposes that must be fulfilled if we're going to meet the needs of our people and reach our community with the gospel. And they all revolve around our common ground. It's very, I, I'm very, uh, I say this a lot. If it wasn't for this church, most of us wouldn't know each other. Unless we're family, we wouldn't know each other. Uh, I've met different people at different places. Lewis I met at the gym years ago. Melvin and, and uh, Suzanne I met at IHOP years and years ago. I met, uh, I don't uh, you know, people, Jonathan, I met Jonathan at a doctor's appointment. Uh, our, our boys were having uh, doctors. Uh, they, we, they shared the same doctor over here at Redwood. Uh, Red, is it Redwood? Yeah, Redwood Pediatrics. <laughs> That's how much I pay attention. Uh, and, but if it wasn't for church, those would have just simply been passing, passing meetings. But it was the commonality of our faith that brought us together. And that's what brings us all together is the commonality we have in Jesus Christ. And if that is our commonality, we need to build on that common ground. So what are these purposes? What are the common things? What are the things that we have in common? The first one is this, we have a common need. We all have a common need, and that common need is fellowship. We have a common need. That common need is fellowship. Listen, you can be, my wife and I are different ends of the spectrum, okay? Aaron is, when we walk through a grocery store, Aaron is, she's like, she's like the, the, you know, remember the Charlie Brown Christmas with the dancers? And they're just dancing all over the place while one guy's just standing there. I'm the guy just standing there. And Aaron's dancing all over the place. And she's talking with everybody. And she's, she's going all over the place. And she's having conversations. I'm just walking, <laughs> walking down the path. We're, we're just, and that's what makes us, that's what, that's what makes us work so well together. Because where she's strong, I'm weak. And where she's weak, I'm strong. But it doesn't matter whether you are outgoing, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter whether you are a wallflower or very outgoing. There is a desire in your heart for fellowship. Whether you want to have a hundred friends or whether you want to just have one good friend. There's a desire for fellowship. You were designed that way. You were created by God that way. Remember what God said about Adam? It's not good that man is alone. So he created a help meet. Adam had a friend. We're designed for fellowship. Around here we say it this way, relationships build churches. Relationships build churches. I had a, a, a real vision about building a men's ministry. And it's very difficult. I'll, I'll just let you, I'll give you a little look behind the curtain of me as a pastor. Oh. It's very difficult for me to build ministries like that. I have the ideas, 
But when you're not a very outgoing person, you need to find others who are <laughs> that you can lean on, okay? And that's what I did. I found a group of men who could fill that void, who are not, who, who are not, uh, they're not too concerned about texting people at 6.30 in the morning and starting a text string that causes my wife to punch me in the head because I, I have my, my phone is my alarm, so the sound is on. So when those texts start coming through, it's like, ah! And there's like 753 guys on that text string, and they all, they all feel the need to say, they all need to feel the need to give the thumbs up emoji, right? It's like, and my, my text message sound is um, Morse code. Deep, deep, deep. And that goes off all morning long. You know what? <laughs> you know what? I love that. I love that. You know why? Because it's telling me that the men of our church are connecting with each other. It tells me that the men of our church are, are finding common ground. It tells me that the men of our church finally, finally, are coming together and are supporting each other and are helping each other and are lifting each other up and they're there for each other. And there are times when a text message will come across and a brother feels so, so comfortable with his other brothers in the church that he says, would you pray for me in this area? And he's very specific. And it's happened more than once. It happens quite often. And the responses coming back are, I got you, brother. I got you. You're not alone. We're here for you. I've got you. And that, that is what we need. Because we, we need that affirmation. We need that fellowship to help us. We have had enough. I don't know about you, but I've had enough of social distancing. I've had enough of masks. I've had enough of being away from people. I want to be back with my church family. I want to be back fellowshipping with my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because that's the way we're designed. And truth be told, I look for people to be here on Sunday morning, not necessarily so I can have a conversation, but because it makes me smile to see other people showing up. And now we can show those smiles off, can't we? Fellowship is an intimate communion with God and his people as they share life and love of Christ with one another. You do yourself no good by avoiding church. In fact, you do you and your family harm when you do so. When you avoid church, you do you and your family harm. Fellowship is what it's all about. Fellowship is so important. Did you know that that's one of the purposes? Yes, preaching is important. Yes, Bible study is important. Yes, worship is important. But fellowship is one of the most important parts of our walk with Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 say, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, 
encouraging one another. How can you encourage each other? By being in fellowship with each other, by being in communion with each other, by coming together and fellowshipping and being in the same place at the same time and talking about your week, talking about your life, opening up about what life is all about. Listen, you want to know more about that, show up on Wednesday nights. And you'll be, the, the, you'll be talking about these matters in our small group Bible studies. 1 Corinthians 15, warns us, do not, be, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. <laughs> if you're not here, you're somewhere else. Right? If you're not in church, you're somewhere else. What's that doing for your walk with Jesus? New Lifers on 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. If you're not in church, where are you? What are you doing? And how is that helping your walk with Jesus Christ? Hey, New Lifers, those of you who are here, where are your friends and family on Sunday morning? And it, does it matter to you? Are you reaching out to them saying, hey, listen, it's time to get back to church. We need to be in church. I'll sit with you. I'll go with you. I'll take you out to lunch after. I'll, I'll buy you a cheeseburger. I don't know, what it, whatever it takes. I'll, you just need to be back in church. Does it matter to you? You cannot be an effective follower of Jesus unless you're connected to a thriving local church body, period. The second common goal we have is to grow in faith. One of our common goals is to grow in our faith. That is the purpose of discipleship. Discipleship. Now, discipleship is, is a, a term that is misunderstood quite often because most people think discipleship is a short, maybe 10 or 12 week series of lessons that you take right after you accept Jesus as your savior. And once you get done with that, now you're done with discipleship. Discipleship is a lifelong process. Discipleship is lifelong learning. Discipleship isn't just in the church. I mean, you can be a disciple of a lot of different things. In baseball, there's uh, disciples of the Charlie Lau theory of batting. Uh, there's disciples of other hit, there's disciples of other types of hitting schools. In football, there's in in uh, in business. I'm sure there's the, there's different schools of thought, and people that follow them are called disciples of those things. But in in our faith, we're called to be disciples. There's a difference between disciples and apostles. I I, I can make the scriptural argument that there were only twelve apostles. Well, thirteen if you count. I believe Paul took over um, the the position of Judas Iscariot when Judas. Uh, was when Judas left, it left a void. And I believe Paul was God's choice, not Matthias, as the book of Acts says. I believe Matthias was the wrong choice. I don't believe that was, uh, that was God's choice. I believe Paul was. In fact, Paul says, I was an apostle born out of my time. And he does fit the requirements. But apostles were a very special, there were only 12 apostles. So people that call themselves apostles today are really not giving themselves a biblical title. Okay, it's not a, it doesn't apply to them. One of the reasons is that an apostle had to be taught and walk with Jesus. Okay, that was a responsibility of an apostle. You can't do that today, physically, okay? But we're all called to be disciples. A disciple is just simply a follower, a learner of a school of thought. And we're all to be lifelong learners. 
Discipleship. If you think you are too advanced to be part of a small group, you're wrong. If you think you don't need to be part of a small group, you're wrong. Not everybody is at the beginning. Maybe your role in being in the small group is being a contributor that helps someone else understand where you're at, where they're at. Maybe your experience that you bring to the small groups on Wednesday night will help someone else get out of the starting blocks. And then maybe there's somebody else in there that's going to help you with an area of your life that you just can't quite get over. But you'll never know that until you become part of a group. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in small groups. Awana and Sunday School are discipleship programs for our children. Parents, how important is it for you to have your children in Awana? I was so proud of the three baseball players from New Life Church this past Wednesday night. They had a game scheduled. It was a playoff game. And we, we, told, our boy, we told our sons, you've got Awana and you've got baseball. Wednesday night is not a command from the Bible. I mean, I, I could... If I say that you have to be there every time the church doors are open, I could have services every night. And anyway, we told our sons, it's your choice. Awana or baseball? Gabriel and Michael chose Awana. They chose Awana. You know what happened? Osvaldo uh, uh, and Flavia, their son was at Awana. You know what happened? Because they weren't going to be at the game, they changed the night of the game and the game was played on Thursday night instead of Wednesday night. They didn't miss out, they got to do both. But they got to do both because as 10, is Joao 10 now? Because as 10 year old boys, they took a stand for their faith. Oh, oh, come on, Pastor John. No, they took a stand for their faith. They took a stand for their faith. And they said, we would rather be at Awana. Well, they want to be with their friends. Listen, they got friends over there playing baseball. But you, you have no idea how much my boys love baseball. I mean, you, you look at Zach, and Zach is like a, a variety and collection of Dodgers paraphernalia uh, that's DNA. You know, that's God blessing him through me. Um, and you have no idea how much, and, and Joao, I mean, these, these three boys, they're the they were the backbone of the team. They love baseball, but they chose church. I think it's amazing. I'm still wowed by that. What are you choosing instead of church, Christian? Our 10-year-old boys in this church know that it's more important to be, to choose the things of God. And you may think that that's naive and you may think that's immature. I think that's incredibly godly. And I wish, I truly wish, more of our adults would make that choice. That you would put other things on the back burner and choose Jesus over your own desires. Remember, it's not about you. It's not about you. You have a lot to offer other people and other people have a lot to offer you. Can't say that you wanna grow in your faith and not take part in a small group Bible study or a Bible study of some kind in your church. That's hypocrisy. Your church provides you the opportunity to learn and grow. 
Now, if you're not, and once again, if you're not able to be here, that's not what we're talking about. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. If you're, if you, if you, if you've got things that you're not able to make, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about when you make a conscious choice to choose to do something else rather than follow Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 11 and 12 say, for I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a de uh, defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Third, quickly, we're going to go through these last three quickly. The, number three, we have a common mission, and that mission is evangelism. That is our common mission. And we are on the greatest mission field in America right here. Right here. We are in the greatest mission field in America. We have a common mission, and that's evangelism. We are called to share Jesus with the world. This is the command that you cannot get away from. You can't explain away, you can't excuse, and you can't push it off on others. You are commanded to share your faith. You are commanded to share your faith with others. Well, I can't do it. Well, you know why you can't do it? Why? Because you don't come to small group Bible study. <laughs> because you're not growing in your faith. Because you're not coming to church faithfully. Because you're not learning about what the Bible has to say. Listen, you don't have to be a theological scholar to share your faith. In fact, when people ask you questions, you would be surprised how little they know about the topic. And you may think you have small knowledge, but you have a whole lot more knowledge. Listen, I, I have conversations with some of you, and you think you don't know a whole lot. And then when you start opening your mouth and talking to me, it's like, wow, you've been listening. <laughs> you've been reading. You've been hearing other people. You've been listening to other passages. Something's going on because you're learning. Don't be afraid to share your faith. Jim Elliott, amazing missionary that gave his life down in South America trying to reach the Aka Indians, said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Sharing the good news of Christ's substitutionary death and resurrection and free offer of forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who come to him by faith and receive it, that's evangelism. That's sharing our faith. That's sharing the good news. But you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. It's a, it, it's a group project. We've got to work together as a church. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with elegant, eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. I love how Paul put that in there. You don't have to be incredibly eloquent. You don't have to be a Billy Graham. You can just be a stuttering Steve. You can be a, 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 a shrinking violet if you want. But you just share your faith when you have the opportunity. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tell us very clearly, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. You will receive power. You will receive power 
after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. You will receive power. Listen, once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. You don't have to be given the gift of tongues to, to, to have salvation proved. That's a fallacy. That's not true. That's not biblical. Did I get my point across? The Holy Spirit enters your life when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what the Bible says. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are sealed with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You now have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the access to the mind of Christ. All you have to do is appropriate it. And you are called to share your faith. And we as a church are called to share their faith. Let me let, me let you into my mind a little bit more. We've done a great job of outreach in our church, of getting our name out there. But the one thing that has been missing has been transferring, getting people to come to our outreach and then getting them to come to church. We can draw 6,000 people to an event, but we can't get them into our church. We've got to, crawl, we've got to bridge that gap. You know how that gap is bridged? By you learning about your faith and being a stronger witness to those people. That's how. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We all have to do that. We all have to reach out. Number four, we have a common savior. And that common savior is our reason to worship. He is our reason to worship. Worship is simply the recognition of God for who He is, what He's done, and what He, uh, and what we're trusting Him to do. Graham Kendrick said, "Worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you, but it is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ." Yes, when we come here on Sunday mornings and we sing together, we're worshiping. But worship is not just singing. Worship is living a life that honors Jesus Christ. Worship is gathering together with your brothers and sisters on Sunday morning because you need them and they need you. Worship is coming together in a small group Bible study because you need them and they need you and you are coming together around a common purpose of your spiritual growth. I can do it on my own. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. And I can win that argument with the Bible. Pastor John, you always come back to that exactly because that's all that matters. Listen, if you don't want to follow Christ and you don't want to follow the Bible, then go to a Red Sox game tomorrow, next Sunday. What we're about here is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And if all you want me to do is make you feel good about yourself on Sunday morning, you've got the wrong guy. That's not what I'm here for. There are people around here lost and dying and going to hell. Your friends and family, I pray for them, do you? They're lost and dying and on their way to hell. And most of the Christians in this area just don't care. We care more about making sure that we keep the right people in the right church. 
We care more about, well, he offended me. Oh, well, those people left, we've got to get them back. No, I don't care, do you not understand that? People are dying and on their way to hell. It's not about you. It's about them. It's about the kingdom of God. John 4, 23 says, but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him honestly and sincerely from a sincere, honest heart. Not fake, not phonies, not people who put on a show. God wants people that deep down inside love him and their desire is to serve him. And that worship flows out from them and it becomes contagious to all who hear it. That's what worship is. Lastly, we have a common responsibility and that common responsibility is to live out our faith in ministry. You have a responsibility, Christian. Listen, these last 15 months, we had some, we, we patched and sewed and, and did whatever we could to get this, to, to, to nurse this church through. We really did, and I am so proud of New Life. Oh my goodness. Those of you who, who were able to be here, those of you who did what you did, I, I think of uh, Pete and Lori, who, who spent their time, who, who, they live, they live they, you have to take a ferry boat across the ocean to get to their house. I mean, my goodness. And yet, when people needed meals, Pete and Lori were all over it. And there was not a person, there was not a family in need during this pandemic that we knew about that did not get taken care of. It's awesome. Awesome. We had our worship team, I mean, we had just so much was going on and, and, and the building was still taken care of, the grounds were still taken care of. Things still happened. I mean, it was, it was incredible the way we were able to patch and sew things together. Some of you came to us during the pandemic, right? You came to us during COVID and you jumped right in and became a part of the church. I'm so proud of what New Life did to survive. But now let's win the peace, folks. Now let's win the peace, huh? Now let's build on it. We showed that we can handle adversity and we can stand strong. Now let's build stronger. Now let's build a church stronger. Now let's all of us, what we couldn't do for 15 months, let's do it now. Did you miss it? Did it leave a hole in your heart? Did it leave an emptiness and a void in your life? Man, I can't wait. I can't wait to see, and we're taking, our, we're taking it slow. You can't bring everything back all at once. You can't dump everything on all at once. You have to build one brick at a time. I know that, I know that. And there's so much I'd love to do, but we just, we have to do it in the right time and we have to build back. We're, we're getting Wednesday nights going and we just, I was so pleased last week. We had such a great crowd at Wednesday nights. Just wanna see it grow and grow and grow and then we'll add more, we'll add more. We've got plans for the future. Where do you fit in? Where are you going to make, where are you going to wedge yourself in and say, listen, this is where I'm going. I'm going to plant my flag right here.
We all have a common responsibility to live out our faith in ministry. Ministry is simply service to God through your local church that is carried out by the use and application of spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. That's ministry. William Carey, amazing missionary of the 1800s, said, is not the commission of our Lord still binding upon us? Can we not do more than we, than, than now we are doing? Can we not do more? Amy Carmichael, another amazing missionary of the 1800s, said, you can, give without, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Mm. You cannot love people without giving of yourself. You cannot love the ministry of Jesus Christ without giving of yourself. You cannot love the service and the call that is on your life, and you cannot love the purpose of the church without giving of yourself. Amen. Giving your finances is great, but you can't buy off God with your for your responsibility. You still need to give of yourself. And we could use you. We could use you. Whew. I, we, we, allow, I, we allowed, we went ahead and expanded the sound booth because we proved that we could do two services. And that was one of the big things. So that once this fills up here, we can add another service. We don't need that extra space. There's still people that are needed in different ministries. In order to do a lot of different, listen, Flavia, I'm sure, if, if somebody wanted to help out with a one, I'm sure Flavia would say yes, okay? No doubt about it. We have needs. You can fulfill them. Well, I'm, I can't teach, but you know what you can do in Awana? In Awana, you can listen to verses. In Awana, you can just be there to be an assistant. It's okay. <laughs> we are created and called to serve God through our local church. There is no excuse and no line of reasoning that will, will, that will relieve us of this responsibility. There's no reason and no line of reasoning that will relieve us of the responsibility of being active in our local church. Ephesians 2.10, and we'll just close with this verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God has chosen you for a very special purpose. He has a very special plan for your life. And if he's called you and led you to New Life Church, that plan is to be carried out through this local church. We want to use you. We want to plug you in. We want you as part of the team. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a part of, it's an active, active lifestyle. You may not be able to do as much as you used to be able to do. You may not be able to do as much as you want to do, but you can do something. And we want to plug you in. Our common ground is Jesus Christ. Our common place is New Life Church. Our common purpose is to fulfill the call of God on our lives through our local church. You'll learn about that on Wednesday nights in our small group Bible studies. What we talked about here today, maybe what I said, maybe some of the things I said you weren't crazy about. Maybe you have something to say about it. Show up on Wednesday night. 
Talk about it. Talk about it. See what others have to say. See if you can, you see, see if you guys can, you ladies and gentlemen can come to some conclusions about things. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of this church, for the privilege of being in your presence, for the privilege of being able to worship you. God, if these last 15 months didn't show us anything, they showed us that so much can be taken away so quickly. Lord, I know that we live in a day and age where things are so busy and so many people have so much going on. And Father, I, I, you know my heart, Lord. I'm not talking about the, the kind of things, the responsibilities people have, but Lord, we also live in a day and age where people are choosing everything else above church, above their walk with you. And I pray, Father, that you will burden the hearts of these new life church people. That God will surrender our will to yours and take up our cross and follow you. And that we'll get involved. Lord, bless us as we go from here today. May we be worshipers of yours, serving you, loving you, lifting you up to the world. May you increase and may we decrease. In your precious name we pray and ask all these things.